Daniel chapter 5, pick me up in verse 1. Daniel 5, pick me up in verse 1. If you got it, say amen. amen. Well, it's on the screen, so everybody should have said amen. I, I got it. I got it. <laughs> I won't read the whole thing. Uh, let me just read the opening 12 verses. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, I don't have time to get into this. Um, our text is actually, one of the uniquenesses of Daniel is um, most of the Old Testament is written in, he, in Hebrew. Uh, Daniel is just, this section of Daniel is actually written in Aramaic. In, Arama in Aramaic, there's no word for grandfather. Nebuchadnezzar is actually his grandfather had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem, he brought that the kings and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. By the way, archaeologists have actually found this room, and what's interesting, when they found it, uh, the walls were coated in a substance called gypsum. If you know anything about gypsum, gypsum is a chalky substance, which would have made it perfect for this event to happen. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Can you imagine being a little tipsy? He's <laughs> like Jamie Foxx, blame it on the... Anyways, uh, then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. Yeah, they did. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. Get Dion Warwick in here. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the king declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts, thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the, of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. I love it. Final verse, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the mid-1950s, our nation was uh, locked 
in a colossal battle with the Soviet Union for the supremacy of outer space. We were in the middle of what's called the space race. We were in a battle for who would be the first to put a man on the moon. It's around this time in 1962, our beloved president, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, was taking a tour, true story, of the Space Center, of NASA's Space Center. In the middle of this tour, he saw a young man pushing a broom, sweeping back and forth. Our our president went up to this man, this janitor, and he said to him, kind sir, please tell me, what do you do here? The young man, true story, stopped sweeping. He says, Mr. President, what do I do here? Well, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. This man had the foresight to link his work as a janitor to a much larger narrative. He wasn't just pushing a broom, he was making history. He teaches us a valuable lesson that all of us in this room, no matter where we may be on the faith continuum, you may have grown up in church or or you may not even call yourself a Christian just visiting, I want you to understand that, that, that you were created by a benevolent God, a good father. He has made you in his image. And life only makes sense when you live outside of yourself, when you tap into a larger narrative than just your life. That is why the Christian understanding for what we do eight, nine, 10, 12 plus hours a day, we don't call that work, we actually call that vocation. The idea of vocation, it comes from the Latin vocatio. We've talked about this in our series. It simply means calling. Love what the great Frederick Buechner, I'm thinking of him right now, that great theologian, he said this. He said it back in the 60s, I believe. This is tweetable. You might want to take note of it. He says, our vocation happens, watch it now, at the intersection between our greatest gladness and the world's deepest hunger. Boy, that's good. Buechner says that our vocation happens at the intersection, ideally, between our greatest gladness and the world's deepest hunger. That's why we parents spend all kinds of money on activities and trial and error with our kids because we understand this is the sweet stuff of life. When I tap into why I was created, you'll never work a day in your life. That's the idea here. And so, for me as a preacher, this is easy. My great gladness is is running my mouth, it's preaching the word, it's studying God's word, it's leading his people. I've been doing this for 29 years. And every first and 15th, it feels as if I'm robbing the bank because that's my great gladness and people's deep hunger is to hear truth from God. If you're a teacher, your great gladness is to teach, it is to explain the truth of this world. And and for those of us in this life, we have a great hunger to, to learn. So when you step into the classroom and those two things intersect, that's vocation. 
If you're a doctor, me as an individual, my deep hunger is to have a body that functions properly and your great gladness is to restore malfunctioning bodies to their proper position. On and on we can go. Yet the problem with life, friends, is that how quickly vocation can devolve down to work. When we lose perspective, when vocations are now reduced to paychecks, and I gotta pay bills, or or I need to fund my lifestyle, or I'm just kinda enduring this for 30 years so that I can kinda cruise my way into the presence of God, now we drift from vocation down to work. Why? Because we've lost perspective. If there's one word I want you to write in the margins of your Bible in Daniel chapter 5 or in your notes app, it's the word perspective. I want to plumb the depths of this because it is vastly important for us as followers of Jesus Christ, or even if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, life is at its sweetest when we navigate the temporary of this world with an eternal perspective. When, when, When I function at a much higher altitude than what happens in my cubicle tomorrow, and I'm able to stitch together typing on that computer or taking someone's order as a barista to the meta-narrative, the larger story of what God is up to in this world, now work makes sense. Now that's the sweet stuff. This is exactly Daniel. Daniel chapter 5, it's the events that happen, watch it now, on the evening of October 11th, 539 B.C. We can say this with detail because we do know that Babylon falls the next day, uh, history would record, Babylon is done on October 12th, 539 B.C. And so since our text happens on the eve of that, we know that this is October 11th, 539 B.C. Here's Belshazzar uh, on the eve of destruction. This guy's completely lost his mind. He understands that the Persians are right outside Babylon's walls. A battle is being fought. Here he is. He decides with war going on to throw a party. I'll come back to that in just a few moments. In the middle of this party, he's invited a thousand people there, and um, uh, there's some wine that's flowing. In the middle of this party, he gets the bright idea, hey, uh, why don't we go into the storehouse and get those cups, get those goblets that were used to worship the one true God, Yahweh, bring them in here, we'll we'll fill them up with some Cabernet, and we will toast with the instruments used to worship the one true God, the false gods of Babylon. He's lost his mind. So he's crunked things up. This party is getting loose. In the midst of desecrating, in the midst of such severe blasphemy, God shows up. This is what theologians called an anthropomorphic appearance of God. God is spirit, John chapter 4 tells us. But God is so infinitely other that he's got to use human language for us to make sense to him. So God comes down in the form of a hand, not attached to an arm or a shoulder or a body, but just in the form of a hand, and while they are committing this blasphemy, he writes on the wall, mene, mene, tekel, peres. God crashes the party. Immediately, 
the king takes a double take. Is this really what I'm seeing? Or is this silver oak talking to me? What's going on here? It says that his color changed. Ever seen someone's color changed? His knees knocked together. He's having a panic attack. He says, get the wise men in here. And yet again, they can't get the job done. The queen mother walks in, and we'll talk about this in just a few moments. She says, you actually need to get Daniel in here. Why? There's a spirit of one of the holy gods inside of him. Uh, Bad theology, but good theology. He's different. Bring him in here. Daniel walks in and he gives the interpretation. He speaks truth to power and he says the party is over. Babylon is being destroyed. How can an 80-year-old man, that's how old Daniel is in our text, step into a room, do his job with excellence, speak truth to power, even though it may cost him his life? Because Daniel don't work for Belshazzar. Daniel works for God. He has perspective. When you go to work tomorrow, you need to understand that CEO, that CFO, they may sign your paychecks, but you don't ultimately work for them. You work for a much higher power. That's why the Bible says, be sure to do your work as unto the Lord. Because at the end of the day, he's the one you will ultimately have to answer to. Hebrews 9, 27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. Two realities of life is we will all die. Eat as much kale salad as you want. Go as gluten-free as you want. That's the weekly kale reference. You will die. And can I tell you something that's more certain than April 15th, tax day? the judgment of God. All of us will stand and have to give an account. I don't want to talk to you about the judgment of God because that's not really growing a church kind of stuff to talk about. But this life, friends, is not all there is. Jesus understood that. Thank you, one person. Jesus understood that. Matthew chapter 24, he says something that's eerily similar to Daniel 5. Look at what Jesus says with me on the screen. Jesus says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay woke or, or stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Will you just get the parallels here between this and what's going on in Babylon? What what are they doing in Babylon? They're partying. And then God says, give me back my breath. What are they doing in the days of Noah? They don't realize a flood's coming. They're partying. They're living it up. And then God crashes the party. What are we doing in this completely secular environment called the bay? partying, living life on my own terms. The new 
newspaper is filled with obituaries who presumed upon their futures, who made wonderful plans, and God showed up and said, the game is over. He said, give me back my breath. We shall behold him face to face. If you are in Christ, you need not fear the judgment. Our lives need perspective. This life is not all there is, friends. We've all read Charles Dickens' wonderful story, A Christmas Carol. You've read it or you've seen it. We're introduced to Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge, his mantra is bah humbug. He doesn't have an ounce of joy to him. He is, uh, um, he's not generous. No one wants to be around him. He's stingy. He's got a bad attitude. And then all of a sudden, one day, that changed. Why did it change? The ghost of Christmas past, present, and future shows up. And what happens? He now gets perspective. And once he gets perspective, what happens? There's joy. What happens when he gets perspective? He's generous. Perspective changes him. And so I want to say to you, I was, with my, I was with a pastor friend of mine some years ago. I'll say his name, Matt Chandler. Some of you know that name. Pastor's about 20,000 people down in Texas. Matt was diagnosed with brain cancer. And we're, we're in the car driving through Texas. He just had surgery. And I said, Matt, how do you have such joy? He says, brother, don't you understand? We're all terminal. I just happen to know what's going on with me. All of us are terminal. You're going to go to the doctor one day and get bad news. So can I ask you a question? If God showed up and said, you've got 24 hours to live, What is it that you are doing that you would stop doing? Then stop it. If God shows up and says, you've got 24 hours to live, what is it that you're not doing that you need to start doing? Then start it. Don't you understand how much we presume? We assume we'll wake up tomorrow. We assume we'll be here next week. God says, you better plan in pencil. Live with perspective. What happens when we live with perspective? Let me just give you three things, and I'm going to take my seat. Here's Belshazzar. Here he is. Let's throw a party. Let's just, let's just throw, bring in the alcohol, let's have a good time, let's toast, bring a thousand people, uh, we, we'll, we'll drink wine and all that that comes with. Not realizing danger is looming right around the corner. By the way, one of the ways you know you've lost perspective is you take more joy in this life than in the life to come. One of the ways you just lost perspective is you take more joy out of day trips to Napa than sharing your faith about Jesus. You get more excited about cruises than going on that missions trip. Because this life just means way too much to you. God again shows up, crashes the party. What then happens? 
panic, anxiety, worry. Let me give you another text message. Here's another way you know you've lost perspective. Worry's moved into your heart and life. You're losing it. Your knees are knocking. There's a panic attack over that doctor's report, over that financial situation, over whether or not you'll get the job. No, yes, be concerned. But worry is paying interest on a bill that's not due yet. Worry fundamentally says this life matters more than the life to come. The queen mother shows up. Wise men can't do it. By the way, every culture has its wise men that they look to for truth, but they'll frustrate you because ultimately truth isn't found there. Now, I want to just call a few names to you because when you read Paul, he, he calls names as well. Now, these individuals, I'm not saying they're bad, but you've got to be careful. Our culture just has them. Oprah. Oh, it's quiet in here. It's quiet up in here. I done, I done made somebody really mad. You know more about the book of Oprah than you do the word of God. And instead of filtering Oprah through the Bible, you filter the Bible through Oprah. So when she talks about there's multiple ways to that higher power, you bought that. Jesus says, no, 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 Oprah, there's one way and it's me. Some of you will just name some names. It's, um, it's Sean Hannity. It's Rachel Maddow. It's Don Lemon. They say it. You believe it. Y'all quiet in here. Y'all let these people, y'all let Fox News, CNN, and MSNBC disciple you more than Jesus. Some of you, it's Donald Trump. Let me mess around and say something bad about Donald Trump. Boy, you'll go home, you in a three-point stance, wait till I get to my computer. Well, that's good. I hope you've got that same passion to call out stuff when people say bad stuff about Jesus. I'm not saying these are bad individuals. What I am saying is they are cultural wise people who can't get the job done when it comes to the truth of God and what you need in your life. The queen mother says, call Daniel. Why? Because Daniel is supernaturally different. He has a spirit of one of the holy gods in him. Bad theology, but good theology. He's not just competent. He's not just skilled. She lists his attributes. He does a great job. But I need you to call Daniel because more than his competencies, when Daniel walks into the room, you just feel something different. I, I, I'm having a hard time, Queen Mother is saying, actually putting appropriate language to it. It just feels like when he walks into the room, deity has stepped in. By the way, that should be true of you and I. When you got saved, not only did every sin you've ever committed, are committing, and will ever commit get nailed to the cross, tossed into the sea of forgetfulness, not only did Jesus resurrect the third day, giving you resurrection power to walk in victory, but 
wrap your minds around this. When you got saved, he gave you his Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us, do you not know your bodies are the temple of the Spirit of God? This building ain't the temple, your body is. God says, I am going to move into the house of your life, which means where you go, you take me with you. So that when you step into the room, there is a sense that deity also steps in. So that if the world can just be profane about you and, and there's just no sense of different and they're just comfortable with whatever around you and they don't sense anything different, you ain't living the spirit-filled life. It's not that you act like you're better than people. It's not that you got to condemn people. You just show up, and you're just yielded to the Spirit of God. And when you walk into the room, there should be a sense in which even non-believers go, I can't put a name to that. But that's different than that, and that, and that. And is that true about you? Is that true about you? I was in prison the other week, visiting. <laughs> I told you I was in Angola, which is one of the largest prisons in our country. It's 18,000 acres the size of uh, Manhattan anyways. Long story short, uh, the guy who was giving us a tour was one of the inmates. He's been locked up for 30 years, 30 years. He gets to jail. He becomes a Christian. The Holy Spirit moves into his life. 30 years in jail. He's in jail for murder. He hasn't committed one violation. And I found out while he was giving us the tour that, that he had just come from his parole hearing where the parole board actually recommended him for early release. But Louisiana has this crazy law. I'm not here to critique or whatever. It pretty much says that the victim's family gets to go to parole board hearings and they get a say in it and their say carries a lot of weight. So even though the parole board recommended him, the victim's family said absolutely not. So he's got to stay in jail. But what I saw that day, he just got this news. You talk about a guy full of joy. He's planted a church in the prison. He has 150 people he's led to faith in Jesus Christ. You know what he says to me? He says to me, listen, this is crazy. Maybe God allowed that to happen because his assignment is for me to stay in here and do his work here. I then saw him worship God. He put all of us to shame. The depth of joy in his worship. What was obvious was he was in jail, but jail was not in him. What am I saying here? When we have the right perspective, here's the principle, we can navigate the temporal in light of the eternal because God is everything. He's everything. Secondly, Quickly, here's Daniel. He steps into the room. <laughs> Belshazzar, you got to love this guy, man. He says, hey, man, if you interpret, I'm going to give you a purple robe and a gold chain and promote you to third in the kingdom. 
Now, now, purple robe, just what the elite wore, gold chains. Nobody could wear a gold chain unless the king had actually given it to him. So it's very, uh, these are status symbols. <laughs> I love this. Don't you know Persia's just outside? And this is your last night in, in, in existence? And you want to give me a Louis Vuitton bag and a Bentley? <laughs> Here's the principle. When you navigate the temporal in light of the eternal, status means nothing. It means nothing. Kids, uh, I'm going to ask you a question. Um, Any kids here play Minecraft? Any kid here? Yeah, I'm seeing hands going up all over the place. I heard a couple parents groan. The guy who created Minecraft is a guy by the name of, My, uh, of Marcus Person. Uh, Marcus Person creates this game. It's the most popular video game that's out there. He sold it for $2.5 billion. He then takes $70 million of that. He builds a mansion and spends the next couple years hobnob- hobnobbing with the rich and famous. Looking back over that period of his life, I want you to listen to what Marcus Person says. As far as I know, he's not a believer. He may be, but as far as I know, he's not. Listen to what he says. The problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying. Hanging out with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I have never felt more isolated. Status, the stuff of this life, doesn't scratch you where your soul itches. So I want you to think back with me, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, wherever it was. Think back with me, those arguments you used to have with your parents, stuff you had to have. Come on, some lady. Remember the Cabbage Patch dolls? I mean, you went toe-to-toe. You just had to have it. Where is it now? I told you the other week, I begged, prayed, and fasted, sought the Lord over a jerry curl and a thriller outfit. (laughs) Praise the Lord for godly parents. Because one of my siblings would have taken a picture of that old photo in Instagram, that bad boy, and y'all would have left the church. <laughs> and by the way, if you're here with the Jerry Curl, God loves you too. So, <laughs> oh goodness. But we can just go on and on. Think of that first car you had to have, or that car you just had to buy, or. It ain't going with you. I'm not saying you can't have nice things. What I am saying is make sure those nice things don't have you. If you study the scriptures and you you read of people who made an incredible impact for eternity, they were people of rich perspective, but they were were also people who who looked at the stuff of this life and they could care less. The penultimate example of that is Jesus. Here he is, a broke, homeless guy in his 30s and was completely content, completely happy because God was his everything. Look at the 11 of the 12 disciples. They die unnatural deaths. They are stoned. They are crucified. They're called uneducated, unlettered individuals. They weren't the cream of the crop, but they turned the world upside down. Just look at Paul. Paul says, I want to boast in my weaknesses. Not in my clothes, not in my cars. And parents, by the way, yes, it's good to bless your children, but don't 
Don't ruin them by giving them everything, especially stuff that just won't matter. Thirdly and finally, what happens when I've got the right perspective? Daniel walks into the room. The king offers him the gifts. I love what Daniel says. Keep your gifts. Keep them. And what does he do? He reads the writing. Many, many tekel perez. He says, I got bad news for you, bro. Now, part of this is he's 80 years old. And the thing I love about seasoned saints, I think seasoned saints just get to a place in life where they're just like, I've lost that filter between my mind and my mouth. I'm just going to say it. He says, bad news, you've been weighed and found wanting, and the jig is up. God's judgment. What happens when I live with an eternal perspective? I'm freed from people-pleasing. Because God is big, people are small. God is big, people are small. God is big, people are small. I'm freed from it. In the book of Galatians, Paul has to tell them some very hard things. It's a hard, hard-hitting book. Galatians were a genre of movie. It wouldn't be a, a romantic comedy. It'd be an action-packed thriller. And right before he says some hard things, he, he gives the, the theme verse that kills people-pleasing. Listen to what he says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So I just want to set the table. I love you. So, so it's, it's not me saying just be mean or rude to people. Remember the great commandment is we're to love people. It's a great commandment. So this is not saying be rude or be harsh. What it is, it's sort of like my wife. My wife comes to me, and she does it on occasion. She says, uh, honey, would you like a breath mint? It took me about a year to figure out this was not a question. It was a statement disguised as a question. Okay? This is, this is kind of how she's just approached me. She says, listen, man, stuff ain't right. Now, the unkind thing is to say nothing and to just let me out there. My ministry would be done. By the way, I had to learn, uh, took me a couple uh, years. This isn't a two-way street. (laughs) This is not a two-way street, all right? Uh, So when she asked me, when she asked me, "Uh, honey, how's my outfit look? most of the times, yes, but if I'm in a hurry, um, yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm messed up right now. So here, let, let me just get back. <laughs> Read between the lines. Oh, we've got a great afternoon conversation happening. So, but the idea here is she tells me what I need to hear even though I may not want to hear it. Daniel says, Belshazzar, keep your gifts. This ain't about promotion for me. I can't be bought. I I, I know I work for you, but ultimately I work for God. I'm going to walk in integrity. 
and a part of what it means to walk in integrity on the job is there are times when I've just got to speak truth and I cannot be a silent accomplice to the immorality that's happening here. Part of the reason maybe why you're not being blessed in your work is because you're watching unethical stuff happen and you're compromising your integrity. What God writes on the wall in Babylon, he's going to say to all of us, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Paris. We've all, on the scales of God's justice, have fallen short. None of us measure up. It's the beauty of Daniel 5. It is a stunning picture of the gospel. Living in our own sins, partying it up, life on our own terms. And all of a sudden, God crashes the party. In fact, one of the most gracious things God could ever do to your life is to crash the party. It is to say, I love you too much. So this is hard for me to tell you, but someone's here today. You don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, and life is going great. Life is going wonderful. And God's brought you in to hear this message. Mene, mene, tekel, Paris. No, on the scales of humanity, you may measure up, but humanity is not the standard. I'm the standard. And a holy God you're no match for. You come up short, but that's where Jesus comes in. For on the cross, Jesus says, I will fill in the gaps for what is missing. He's paid it all, not most, not some. He's paid it all. He offers it to you today for free. Will you say yes to him? Elders, prayer team people, would you come? Praise team people, would you come? Father, in the name of Jesus, we all fall short. None of us measures up. Not none of them, none of us measure up. But thanks be to God for your son, Jesus Christ, who helps us to make the weight, who fills in the blanks. Because of that, we never need to fear judgment for on the cross our sins were judged and the wrath of God was satisfied. And we thank you for that. Now, Lord God, would that cause us to live this life with an eternal perspective? That you would be our everything. That status would be nothing and that we'd be freed from people pleasing. God, would you save someone's soul today there's a believer here today who has been saved by your grace through faith, but they've lost perspective. Maybe they're living like the world, not like the true child of God you've called them to be. Restore them back to fellowship, we pray in Jesus' name. Here's what's going on this week at ALCF. 
On Friday, April 19th, we will remember the Lord's death and burial with two services at 12 noon and 6 p.m. Then, on Sunday, April 21st, we'll celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ with a unique service featuring our choirs, water baptisms, and a special message from Pastor Brian. Sign up for baptisms on the ALCF website or on the app. And it's not too late to get in on the Easter Choir. Join us for rehearsal on Sunday from 12 to 2 p.m. in the chapel. As part of our Vision 2020 campaign, we've put together six incredible short-term missions trips to three different locations, Mexico, the Philippines, and Zambia. For more information, go to alcf.net slash global missions or go to the contributor station after service where you can also pick up a bookmark and a Vision 2020 wristband. He Said, She Said, Cracking the Communication Code in Marriage is a two-part marriage enrichment workshop led by Hozak and Elizabeth Sharp, who have been married for 20 years and are passionate about helping married and engaged couples to restart, rebuild, and restore their relationships. The workshops take place on Sunday, March 31st, and Sunday, April 14th, from 12 to 2 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. Child care is available with advanced registration. Mom's Time Out is a place to rejuvenate, refresh, and refuel. If you're a mom with kids in the home, you can gain encouragement from other moms and together learn how to glorify God in the midst of daily circumstances. Join us on April 4th and 25th at 10 a.m. for special messages from Corey Loritz and Beth Anderson. To sign up for child care, go to alcf.net slash signups. If you're 18 to 30-ish and want to meet and grab lunch with other young adults, come join us at the Center Pillar in the lobby after service on Sundays. We'll head out together and enjoy a tasty local eatery. If you're new to Abundant Life and want to learn more about our story, vision, and values, be sure to join Pastor Brian at our guest luncheon. This is ALCF. This event takes place on Sunday, April 28th from 12 to 1 p.m. in the chapel. To sign up for any of these upcoming events, go to alcf.net slash signups or check out the ALCF app. And remember, Abundant Life exists to make a better you for a better world.